You're listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May you be challenged and encouraged by this message. Having the affections of your heart stirred towards greater love and understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami. The sun had just barely risen over the horizon. A crowd of people began to jostle with each other to get the best view that they possibly could. A circle of stakes enclosed the place of execution, and in the center was a large pillar of wood in the form of a cross about the height of a man. A strong chain hung from the top, and a rope noose was threaded through a hole in the top of the wood at the very top. The prisoner was brought in, and a list of charges was read that he was found guilty of. He maintained that faith alone in Christ alone justifies a person before God. He maintained that it was enough for salvation to believe in the forgiveness of sins and to embrace the mercy offered in the gospel. He denied the freedom of the will. He denied that there is any purgatory. He denied that neither the Virgin Mary nor any saints should be prayed to for us in their person. His greatest charge was that he refused to stop translating the Bible into English so that the people for the first time in history would be able to read God's word and what it actually said and not simply what the traditions were that were taught to them. The prisoner was given one more chance to recant, to state publicly before all the witnesses present that he did indeed recant from those previously held beliefs and no longer held them to be true. Silence fell over the crowd as they watched the prisoner's lean form, his thin, tired face, as his lips closed together to speak one final time, to which he said, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. His feet were then bound to the stake, the iron chain fastened around his neck, and the rope noose was placed around his throat. Piles of brushwood and logs were heaped around him. The executioner came up from behind the stake and with all of his force held down on the rope, jerking his neck up tight, strangling him to death. But holding his body against that stake with that rope tied to him, The prisoner now strangled. A representative from the church placed a lighted torch to the wood. The others watched the fire burn. And it was not until his body was charred and hung there limply that the officer released the chain, allowing his body to fall into the glowing heat of the fire with more brushwood put on top of him, more logs piled on top of him while the crowd watched as the man burned. The date was October 1536, and that was the end 
of the 42-year-old life of William Tyndale. And the fact that most of you hold a Bible in your hands today in English is largely due to his desire for you to read God's word for yourself and therefore have it translated in a language that you would be able to read. As had been done earlier in German, would be done in France, and has been done throughout history since that time in so many languages so that people around the world could actually read the Bible for themselves, that they would not have to defer to the professionals, defer to the clergy, that they could indeed see that person, indeed what they taught as being in the Bible or not in the Bible. They could ask their own questions. They could come to their own conclusions. They could form their own beliefs. What did God's word actually say? Not were they told that it said, what did it actually say? William Tyndale died so that others might know Christ as revealed in his word. We begin 2023 with a clear reminder that life is not measured by how long it lasts, but what you do with it that truly matters most. To see that and to learn from a biblical forefather to William Tyndale, who himself was also in jail, let's learn from Paul in the book of Philippians. If you have a Bible, I want to ask you to open to Philippians chapter 1. As you turn to Philippians chapter 1, for those of you who are perhaps new to Christianity, maybe you do not have a Bible, we do have those for you for free at the back of the Welcome Center. You're welcome to get one of those. They're there for you for free. In the meantime, you can listen. There might be a pew, a Bible in the back of the pew in front of you. But Philippians is this letter to a church in a city like Miami. It was a church in the city of Philippi. And Paul writes to them. He has a letter he wants to send to them, correspondence of what he wants to communicate. Our text this morning is found in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. It reads as follows. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is our text for this morning. A brief text, but a profound text as to the implications for anybody who professes to be a follower of Christ and anybody else who does not, who has to compare their life accordingly. Therefore, everybody this morning has something to learn from our text. Now, admittedly, we are parachuting into the book of Philippians. For those of you who are not familiar with Philippians, what's happening here is that Paul is writing to his friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. He's not with them. He wished he could be, but he is in prison. In fact, you see this earlier in chapter 1. He speaks of it in verse 7, how he speaks about his love for them. And he says in verse 7, It is my right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Later on in verse 12, he would say, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, referring to his imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel. Verse 13 explains why. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul is writing to Christians about their walk with Christ, but doing so with the mindfulness of how his own walk with Christ is helping others get to know Christ. 
For Paul, it's about Christ. The title of today's message is to live is Christ. And what I want to do in verse 21 is I want to basically take a look at this question, or rather this text, by learning some lessons by asking ourselves questions. Because I think these questions will draw our mind back to the text and even help us consider how the text informs how we would live in a way that might lead Perhaps a conclusion like William Tyndale. Guilty as charged as one who believes in Christ alone. The first lesson and the first question is this. Number one, what is my personal commitment? What is my personal commitment? If you go back to the text, as it says there in verse 21, Paul says, for to me... To live as Christ. Paul is really giving a point of compare and contrast. If you go back earlier to verse 12, he talks about how he's getting the gospel out, how it's advancing through his imprisonment in verse 14. But then in verses 15 to 18, he talks about how people are preaching Christ, how they're letting Christ be known for all different types of reasons. In fact, some are saying they're talking to others about Christ because they're trying to make themselves look better than Paul. In other words, they're actually preaching Christ out of selfish rivalry, out of their own personal ambition, how they want to be known. So Paul, at the very end of that, in verse 18, says, I don't really care why they preach Christ as long as Christ is being preached. He's not saying that those are good motives. He's saying the ultimate goal is for Christ to be preached. But then he gives a point of compare and contrast. Their motives to his motives. What drives them and fuels them versus what fuels him. Their commitment versus his. Paul has been talking about people already in the book of Philippians. The very beginning of chapter 1, verse 1, he spoke about Paul and Timothy. Servants of Christ Jesus. So it's not just him, he's also referring to Timothy in this letter. He speaks to all of the saints in Christ. He then specifically talks about overseers, another word for elders or pastors. He then talks about deacons. He goes on later on to talk about those, the prison guards, as we see in verse 12, or verse 13 rather, this whole imperial guard. As I just said there in verses 15 and following, talks about other preachers. But all these audiences in mind, Paul then brings the conversation back to himself. Not as a point of selfishness, but as a point of clarity. Paul speaks personally and takes responsibility. Paul describes here in Philippians chapter 1 what it is that motivates him. Where is his commitment found? When he says this phrase in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ. You think about how all the different reasons that we might give for giving ourselves a break, right? I mean, think about, for example, like a lot of times we can make commitments to like food we're not going to eat, unless it's our birthday. Movies we're not going to watch, unless friends want to. Things that we're not going to drink, unless it's a special occasion. And we continue to sort of like make exceptions. Well, this is no greater found than in the context of sometimes our own Christianity, Commitments we're going to make, resolutions we're going to state, promises that we're going to pledge. But then we find ourselves in a world of exceptions. 
you know, it was late night last night. That's why I had to make it to church in the morning. You know, traffic is bad. That's why I didn't go to community group this week. You know, I, I, I watched too much TV. It's written in, I didn't read my Bible today. We have all kinds of excuses for why we can know the things that we should do, but don't necessarily do them. If you would, consider with me Paul's perhaps list of excuses. Of why Paul might, if you will, take a break from his commitment publicly to Christ. He gives a helpful list. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 and following. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. I mean, Paul has been whipped on five different occasions for being a Christian. Just to be clear, some of us are worried about losing a friend. Paul lost flesh. He continues, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Not just Philippi, not just the church at Corinth, not just the church at Thessalonica, not just the church at Colossians, which he didn't even plant. He never even pastored in Colossians. He was concerned about them. If there ever was somebody who you could say, hey, Paul, you can sit this one out. You can pass the baton. You can take a break. Back in Philippians chapter 1, Verse 21, Paul is essentially saying, as long as I draw breath in these lungs, for to me, to me, is Christ. Paul was committed, not because he was thanked, not because he benefited from Apostle Appreciation Month, not because his people never slandered him, never abandoned him. He was committed because he already had all that he wanted. Christ. It's amazing to me how fickle and frail we can be as Christians. How relationally sensitive we can be. Dare I say just a mere example of this. Even the phrase itself... Oh, you've hurt my feelings. It's a common term. We'd say that, not think anything bad about that. Do you, do you understand sort of the, the, the humor of that statement? Feelings are not like arms, bones. They're not like skulls. There's no bruises. What you mean to say when someone says hurt your feelings is that they said something you felt was unkind. People said things that were to you that were rude. People said something to you that was inconsiderate. People maybe did something you thought was unloving. That's what you mean when you say people hurt your feelings. But friend, do you understand sometimes in kind of our therapeutically self-centered culture how sensitive we can be that if someone just hurts our feelings, we're out. We're gone. 
if we can log enough times of interacting with people and they don't greet us enough, they don't extend kindness to us enough, they don't invite us enough, we're, we're done. We're done. Regardless of what the Word of God says, we're out. Because the belief is, well, God loves me, and therefore him loving me would never want me to not be loved by others. And if I'm not loved enough by others who have been unkind to me, who have been mean to me, who have been uh, irrationally insensitive to me, I'm out. Imagine being a small group with Paul. And you share this with him. Danelle hurt my feelings. Pablo was mean to me. You know, I was at church a couple weeks. People didn't say hi, which would be kind of hard here, I suppose, to have that happen to you. But I plan time to say hi to you. But I think what's so remarkable to see is Paul's commitment. Because it's a helpful audit for you and I to say, what does it take to get you to wave the white flag? What does it get you to toss the towel? What does it get you to say, okay, that might be for Paul, but it's not for me? William Tyndale, that's one thing, but, but, but life in Miami, that's another thing. Paul says, for to me, for to me, to live is Christ. Do you have that singular focus? Psalm 43, verse 4. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, here we go, to God my exceeding joy. Friends, to be clear, I don't think Paul wanted to be beaten. I don't think Paul wanted to be lashed. I don't think Paul wanted to be betrayed. I'm sure he was regularly and repeatedly disappointed at those who professed to be with him in the ministry and yet continually abandoned him. But that did not taint or change his singular devotion, joy in Christ. God often provides circumstances, relationships, challenges, providences in our life to helpfully audit to us, what is it? Where is my personal commitment? What is it found in? Which leads us to the second question for examination in this text. Not just what is my personal commitment, but what is my purpose in life? Go back to verse 20. Or excuse me, verse 21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ. There's a term that was introduced in the 1950s through Alcoholics Anonymous called codependency. A term introduced by psychiatrists as to how people with struggling with addictions and people they interacted with, how they interact with one another. That term has sort of made its way out of the addiction community into the larger population, which is now a very commonly used term, codependency. Codependency 
is this idea of people who are intertwined together in toxic lives, caring for each other, and yet cannot have independence from one another. Codependency in a relationship is when a person is each involved with one another in a mentally, emotionally, physically, or spiritually reliant way on the other. It's a relationship addiction because people with codependency often form or maintain relationships that are one-sided, emotionally destructive, and or abusive. They're too dependent on another for themselves to be stable and set, to be secure and to be fixed, to do the right thing no matter what somebody else does. They're too dependent on another. So the question can be asked. Do we just have an earlier version in church history in the earliest pages of Scripture of Paul who appears to be codependent on Christ? Is he just advocating for some type of therapeutically dependent, emotionally intertwined relationship? Is that really what he's talking about here? And is he just simply encouraging others to do the same? I mean, that could be an accusation, perhaps, by some non-Christians to some of you who are Christians. You're too codependent on Christ. You're too wrapped up in him. It's not what's happening here. When Paul says in the text, to live is Christ, it requires an understanding of, and for some, a reminder for others of just who Christ is. Now, for those of you who are here investigating Christianity, I hope you to hear this as a summary of who Jesus is. As the scriptures clearly explain him and show him to be, and even his own public ministry demonstrates him to be, as recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus Christ is the only true Son of God. He shares the same divine nature as God. Jesus Christ is eternal. He existed from eternity past. He exists in the present. He will exist for all eternity in the future. Jesus is sinless. He never committed a sin, although he was, became fully human. He has no sin nature. He is the only one of God who is sinless. He alone is the one who took on himself our sins, though he was not sinless, sinful. He was sinless, rather. Though we were sinful, he was sinless. He took responsibility for us. As the sin bearer, he grants us forgiveness and salvation and a right standing with God. No one else could take away our sin except Jesus. He is the only way to the Father. There is no other way to salvation. He says this himself in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He grants forgiveness. He alone was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin. He alone had the power over his own death and the ability to take back his life again. His resurrection was not just a spiritual one, but a physical one, resurrecting from dead, conquering death, never to die again. He alone accepted worship as an equal with the Father. Indeed, God the Father states that the Son is to be honored as he is to be honored. All of Scripture, whether Jesus' disciples or angelic beings, they all rightly reject worship, but only God himself receives worship, and Jesus receives worship. Jesus has the power to give life to whom he will. God the Father has committed all, all judgment to Jesus Christ, his Son. Having lived in this world perfectly, he is the only one qualified to judge the world, which it says in Acts 17, he will come back to do. 
He was with the Father directly involved in the creation of all of creation. It is by his hand that even you and I continue to exist today. You can say, Happy New Year. Thank you, Jesus. He will rule the world at the end of the present age. He demonstrated the attributes of God in his ministry. He showed that he had the power to forgive sins, heal the sick, calm the wind and the waves, to know people's thoughts, to raise people from the dead. He fulfilled prophecy. There are great numbers of prophecy because heard the Messiah's life, his birth, his resurrection, his person, his purpose, all were fulfilled in him. Friends, when Paul says, for me, to live is Christ. What he is saying is, I want to know him and I want to make him known. Now that's not just some radical man from the first century who got upgraded as an apostle because he came back from summer camp from teenagers excited for Jesus. And he seems to be big on the Bible, so let's give him and put him in charge. This is an example of what we see it looks like to live for Christ. There is no one like Christ. I mean, why does Paul say to live is Christ? It's one thing to be impressed with somebody, but you don't say, I want to live is them, right? I mean, like we get impressed with like people from the past, Plato, Socrates, Pele, LeBron, Jordan, Messi. We don't say to live is Messi. To live is Jordan. To live is Socrates. No, no one says that. But why is it okay for Paul then to say to live is Christ? Because everyone else is a sinful creature who needs a Savior. And there is only one Savior. Jesus Christ is his name. And to know him and to want to commit your life to live, to honor him, is what this is about. So here's the deal. Chapter 1, verse 21, we need to see this in context. Go back to verse 7. Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. What's Paul saying here? Well, verse 7 he shows how he's basically in prison. His imprisonment in defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, while he's in prison, verse 12, hey, he's like, hey, no problem. New arena, new opportunities. Verse 12, I get to advance the gospel now in jail. Verse 15, Christ is being preached at different motives. Paul doesn't care as long as Christ is being preached. Here's the goal. Verse 20. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. I mean, friends, this gets real simple as those who profess to be followers of Christ. I mean, like, seriously, we could just ask this question. Hey, are you a Christian? You're like, yes or no? Okay, let me ask it to you a question a different way. Do you want Christ to be honored in every aspect of your life or in your death, yes or no? That's one and the same to saying, are you a Christian or not? Is your life for him? He essentially states this again and again. Later on in Romans chapter 14, verse 8, he says, If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Paul has got conviction 
that simultaneously inspires and challenges. It challenges. If we're honest, as Christians, our interest in Christ can be pared down to an interest in eternal security and kind of a spiritual life coach that can help us when we're in a tough spot throughout the days between now and then. But we largely want to live independent, autonomous, and when we get in a pinch, lifeline Jesus. Now how Paul sees this. Paul sees it's all for Christ. When worldly joys are gone, we can still rejoice in Christ. If Christ were gone, then my life would be death to me. That should be your story. If worldly joys are gone, my life continues because my life is in Christ. But if Christ is gone, then my life is death because it has no purpose to live anymore. The next question we need to ask to learn some important lesson is not just what is my personal commitment, not just what is my purpose in life, but third, where is my time being invested? Where is my time being invested? Look at what he's doing here in the text. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But as he talks about his living, think about what he says here in verse 22. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Some of you dig New Year's resolutions. I'm partial to New Year's resolutions. Um, some of you are like, you're like New Year's resolution Scrooges. You're like, Tah, you don't need a new year to do that. Just decide now. All right, okay, back down. It could be May. You could decide to not drink coffee. It could be June and you want to lose weight. That's fine. I'm, I'm, no, no, one's, no one's saying you guys can't do, make a resolution any other time of the year. But nevertheless, beginnings. Life is often measured in years, right? Like how long a professional person has been playing for a team. How long a, a couple has been married for. How old a person is. How long life has been going on for. We measure life in years. And so we have a new life. And when a new year comes, people often make resolutions and resolutions of ideas. And I was reading some ideas of various publications this past week and resolutions. These are some of the ones that were coming out in these publications. Stop gossiping. That's a good one. If you gossip, please stop. On behalf of the rest of us. Give one compliment a day. Go a whole day without checking your email. Read a book a month. Turn off your phone one night a week. Write down one thing you're grateful for every night. Call a friend instead of texting them. Take the stairs. Okay? Go to the dentist when you're supposed to. You know who I'm talking to. Travel somewhere without posting it on social media. Like, Actually, go live life that we don't know about. It's okay. Pay off your credit card every month. 
Make your bed every morning. Talk less, listen more. These resolutions range from silly to serious. But if you're a Christian, here's an idea for your resolutions. Skip all the self-improvement ones. All the self-improvement ones. And make resolutions that others benefit from. The resolution that has others in mind, not yourself. Resolutions that actually says, I'm actually thinking of others with the life God's given me than myself with the life God's given me. Or I'm trading in self-centeredness and thinking about others. And I want to commit accordingly to think mindfully about others that God has placed me with. You see, friends, when you see Paul, when he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, he is not on some type of spiritual self-actualization journey where we can kind of sit from a distance and golf clap politely at what he's doing himself to find his inner being and having intimacy with God. He directly connects his love for Christ and his life for Christ to others' growth in Christ. That goes back to what I said in those verses. Look at what he says again in verse 22. If I'm in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Notice Paul's version of retirement is not often what our version of retirement is. But then verse 25, he gets even more specific when he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Why? For your progress and joy in the faith. Here's a question. Who is glad that you are living for Christ? Who is glad that you are living for Christ? That person in your life, that, that roommate, that spouse, that child, that parent, that coworker, that neighbor, Christian, non-Christian, who is better because your commitment to live for Christ is seen in your desire to serve others, particularly those in the Christ. That's exactly what it says here. For your progress and joy in the faith. It's appropriate for people when they get to know each other to introduce themselves and to get to know something about each other biographically. Who are you? What's your name? Where do you live? Where do you work? Where do you go to school? What are you doing? Who are you dating? Who are you not dating? Who do you wish you were dating? Kids, no kids, hobbies, interests, you name it. But at some point, if both those parties profess Christ, at some point, does that conversation turn towards Christ with the desire to encourage each other in Christ? This is what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10. The significance of wanting to encourage each other as long as it's called today. To encourage each other towards love and good deeds. Stimulate one another towards love and good deeds. You are considering how to do that, he says in Hebrews 10. You are giving it thoughtfulness. Paul wants to resolve that his life as for others to progress and their joy in the faith. Sometimes we need examples. Paul might be distant for you. It might seem out of reach for you. So let me give you some others. There's Leonardo. Leonardo lives in the red zones in Colombia. Becoming a Christian in these areas is seen as an obstacle to the paramilitary groups and their political ambitions because young people who become Christians are no longer attracted to the group's violent lifestyles. 
Leonardo has to ask for permission when he can preach, where he can preach. And they even tell him what time he has to start and what time he has to end at. And so he preaches. But he eventually was run out of his village area because people were listening. And they were converted, giving their lives to Christ, becoming ambassadors for peace, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he was kicked out of that village into another area, but still in the red zone. And then he was banned from preaching in a church. So then he got a microphone and a speaker and he walked around and began to speak the truth of Jesus. A simple guy like you and like me, a simple guy walking around. And before he knew it, within a short amount of time, 70 adults and 53 children just gathered outside. Many of them giving their lives to Christ and being baptized. Leonardo, not Tyndale at a stake 500 years ago, not Pauline in, uh, Paul in prison 2,000 years, Leonardo, who's living today as I speak to you in another country that some of you are from. Then there's Park Chin Mei. Park Chin Mei dutifully served as a border guard for the North Korean military. Because he was paid such a small amount of money, even as an employee of the government of North Korea, he had to participate in what would be happening, which is the smuggling of goods across the border from China into North Korea. And both in being paid as a bribe to let it pass, as well as himself smuggling some goods. But eventually, Chin Mei was caught as a guard and shamed by being arrested and put in jail for 60 days. As I speak to you, this is what happens if you're caught as a prison guard for helping smuggle goods. Not anything religious, just, just goods like VCRs and food and jackets. For 60 days, the first 10 days of the 60 days, he had to maintain a position of being in a bow for 10 days. The only time he's allowed to leave that position for 10 days is to go use the restroom. If at any point in those 10 days he moves from that position, he is painfully and miserably beaten. At the end of those 10 days, he is told to pick one position and only one position that he will sit in for the remaining 50 days. He cannot move from that position at all, except to his restroom. If at any point he, he moves from that position, he'll be mercifully beat. Mercifully beat. Just overwhelmingly beaten. He said at times the beating was a relief from the pain he felt from sitting in that position for so many days. After those 60 days were up, he was put back at the border as a guard. And before you knew it, you know what he did? He went back to helping smuggle goods across the border. One time when he was smuggling goods across the border, he opened up a box of what he thought were VCRs. And underneath the first VCR was a stack of Bibles. He had never seen a Bible his entire life before. And the guards had been taught, if you see a Bible, number one, you confiscate it immediately. Number two, you do not open it at all. And number three, you turn it in. After what you're turned in, you'll go through 10 days of examination on what happened and whether or not you opened it and read it. He was scared to death to even touch the thing, knowing what would happen if he was associated with it. So he let it pass. 
He eventually escaped from North Korea himself as a guard, getting across the border first into China, eventually landing in South Korea, where they will give North Korean refugees citizenship. And they spend three months in essentially interrogation to make sure that they're not spies from North Korea. After which three months, they give him three months of training where they put him into refugee camps to train him into a new way of living because they've been so brainwashed by life in North Korea. And they tell them they have to pick a religion to identify with because it'll help them. And so he chose Christianity because he had heard about it but knew nothing about it. And so he volunteered at a church. You know what his first assignment was in a church like this? Every Sunday, he'd walk along the pews and he would put out Bibles. And for the first time, he thought, what would have gotten me killed, I can now have in my hand and I want to begin to read for myself. And he began to read the Bible. And began to realize who Jesus is and gave his life to Christ. And you know what Minche does today? He helps smuggle Bibles across the border into North Korea. For him, to live is Christ. Is Christ. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So we've asked three questions. What is my personal commitment? What is my purpose in life? Where is my time being invested? Let me just take a minute and think about some things as we reflect. First of all, because of Paul's chains, Christ was being known. Just think about that for a second. Because of Paul's chains, Christ was being known. I think what we're think by default is, God, if you promote me, I promise I will make you known. If you give me a wider followership, more followers, more likes, more double taps, more people that can identify me, then I will make Christ known. And yet what Paul happens to him, God puts him in prison. What are you willing to go through and to endure in your life so that Christ is known? We often want prominence and promise to promote Christ. Paul got persecution and he rejoiced. Another reflection, what are you willing to give up? Excuse me, what are you willing to live for that you might die for? What conviction do you hold so strongly we go back to our opening example of William Tyndale. It's not just that Tyndale believed that salvation was by faith alone and Christ alone he's willing to die for. He believed that it was wrong to make a law that people like you and me could not read the Bible in our own language. And he was willing to be chased, hunted, arrested, and finally hung and set on fire so that you and I could read the Bible. Do you and I know that kind of conviction do we have that kind of desire to see others know Christ in his word? Another reflection is, who is benefiting from your commitment to Christ? 
A question I asked earlier is another one to consider yet again by way of review. Who is it that is thankful because of your energy, your effort, your time? And lastly, perhaps today's text falls strange on your ears. It sounds confusing to you. For someone to write, for to me, to live as Christ and to die is gain. Friend, that might be because you do not know Christ well. Or maybe you don't know Christ at all. For those of you who are not Christians, I have read to you in summary fashion earlier this morning what it is that Christ is, who it is he is, what it is he has done, and how he's made an offering for sin that you can know that you can be forgiven of your sins. No other teaching will give you that. No other person can offer you that except Christ. Friend, the question is whether or not you'll respond to the invitation by giving your life to him and surrendering to do as Paul and William and Leonardo and others have done, which is to give their life to Christ. I hope you would do that even this morning. For those of you that have, perhaps your understanding of Christ is like a couple who celebrates their one-year anniversary of marriage. It's been a good year. They've loved it. They've got a lot of memories. They've enjoyed a lot together. But if they're honest with themselves, they don't know each other like the couple who celebrates their 50th anniversary. They've not lived that long together. They've not experienced that much together. For those of you who are in Christ, what are you doing to develop and to deepen your devotion to Christ? How is he more than just a genie in a bottle for an occasional prayer throughout your week? How is he the Savior that you continue to bring your thoughts back to, your affections for, your motivation in living for? How is reading him in the Gospels helping appreciate and grow the amazing reality? How is Colossians chapter 1, where in verses 15 through 18, those four verses, he unpacks the amazing truth of who Christ is? In Ephesians chapter 1, of what God has done in Christ for our salvation, how is knowing Christ moving you closer to saying with Paul, for to me, to live is Christ. Next time you get the tattoos, skip the roses and the butterflies, the dragons and the, and the Japanese words that you hope mean what the tattoo per, uh, artist says that they meant. Go for Philippians 1.21. Go for Galatians 2.20. Regardless of whether you tattooed on your body, tattooed on your heart. To live is Christ. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May God draw you nearer to Him through His Word. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami.